always had an entrepreneurial spirit. When I was a, when I was a little girl, I was it's kind of funny, maybe not the best thing, but I was um, selling lollipops at school. <laughs> so I had this this relative who had these big lollipops, right? Like the you know the eight inch ones. They were really colorful, not healthy to eat. But I would go to school and like as long as they let me, I would be like selling lollipops <laughs> um, until they said no. But I think I've always. I've always liked to be a groundbreaker, and the thing about me is I, I don't operate out of a mode of fear. I don't, I just don't operate out of fear. I never have. And you have to have that to be, to be an entrepreneur. You can't have a lot of fear, you'll never, you know, success is going to be hard to come by. What's up, everyone? That was Jenny Maxwell. I'm your host, Mario Fraioli, and you are listening to the Morning Shakeout Podcast. This week's episode is with Jenny Maxwell. She's the founder and CEO of Jam Bar, an energy bar for promoting community and eating healthy, organic nutrition. This isn't Jenny's first foray into the energy bar market. She and her late husband, Brian, practically created it in the mid-1980s when they launched Power Bar, which they worked on together for 15 years until it was acquired by Nestle in the year 2000. Jenny is also a runner, a drummer, a nutritionist, and a mom of six kids. And in full disclosure, I coach one of them, her son Chris, who is a heck of a marathoner in his own right. In this conversation, we talk about launching Jam Bar after 20 years away from the energy bar industry, how the space has evolved and grown over the past two decades, and what she's doing to make her new company and product different from the rest. Jenny and I also discuss playing the long game and taking a patient, sustainable approach to both business and life, aligning yourself with the right people, the similarities in how athletes and musicians approach their respective crafts, and a lot more. Before we get into this one, a big thank you to Tracksmith for their continued support of the Morning Shakeout podcast. Tracksmith is a Boston-based running apparel brand born from a desire to celebrate both the history and evolving culture of running. They recently released their fall collection where classic style and modern running performance meet. The collection was designed to celebrate the seasonal shifts as we find our rhythm this fall. I have been living in the Harrier long sleeve the past month or so. It's a merino blend that keeps me warm and doesn't smell no matter how much I sweat in it. And don't tell my wife, but I've worn it multiple days in a row before throwing it in the wash. Check it out for yourself along with some of my other favorite apparel picks at tracksmith.com slash Mario and use the code Mario15 at checkout to save 15 bucks off your first purchase of $75 or more. This episode is also brought to you by Gooder. What can I say about these sunglasses? Well, not only do they look good, but they don't bounce, they don't slip, and they're polarized to protect your eyes. Best of all, they're super fun. They come in a number of awesome styles and colors. I'm personally a big fan of the OGs, and my favorite colors are a Ginger Soul and Mick and Keith's Midnight Ramble. Gooders are also super affordable, with most pairs coming in at just 25 to 35 bucks a piece, which makes them way more appealing than those expensive shades that you're almost guaranteed to crush or lose. So, if you'd like to support me in the podcast, treat yourself to a pair or two or three of Gooders and head over to gooder.com slash Mario and get 15% off your entire order. That's G-O-O-D-R.com slash M-A-R-I-O to get 15% off your purchase. Your face will thank you. One last thing before we get into this one, as a thank you for listening, Jenny would like to extend a 10% discount on Jambar products to Morning Shakeout listeners. Simply place an order at jambar.com and use the code BURP. That's B-E- RP, all caps, at checkout. And just to be fully transparent, I am not getting paid by Jambar. I am not an affiliate of the company, and I get nothing out of you using this discount code. It's just a gift from Jenny and an invitation to try out her latest culinary creation. Okay, and with that, let's get right into this one with the woman who helped create the energy bar industry, Jenny Maxwell. Well, thank you for having me at 
Jambar headquarters, Jenny Maxwell. Welcome to the Morning Shakeout podcast. Thanks, Mario. How are things going so far? You are, I shouldn't say early days because the idea for Jambar started a while ago and we'll get into that, but I know that production has really just started to kick up in earnest here at your facility in San Rafael, California. So how does it feel to be back in startup mode? It's awesome. I mean, it's been, it's been uh, like you say, it's early days in that we've only been making jam bars for about six weeks. Um, but we've got, I have five years into this project because I started with the concept of jam bar in uh, 2016. And then I have 35 years <laughs> in the energy bill market since Brian and I started Power Bar in 1985. So... Um, I have a lot of experience, but this, you know, Jambar is exciting because this is a, this is a new chapter mm-hmm. and um, we are launching now in the Bay Area. So just getting the stores, the bars out into the stores and uh, online and we're, we're raring to go. How does it feel different than when you and Brian started Power Bar in the mid 1980s? I mean, just for reference for everyone listening to this, there was not an energy bar right. in the mid-1980s when you started Power Bar, and now it's a billion, multi-billion exactly. dollar industry. I mean, they're, they're, it's interesting because there's some major differences and there's some major similarities. Um, I'll start with similarities in that Power Bar was totally innovative. I mean, Power Bar was groundbreaking in the 80s, and we delivered nutrition to athletes where before there really wasn't anything that talked to the athletes about getting the calories in, avoiding upset stomach, um, something that's portable. We didn't use hydrogenated oil. So the whole concept of Power Bar was really quite innovative at the time. But we had some limitations then that we don't have now. Um, Now there are so many different types of ingredients that can be put into a bar. So it really changed the playing field in terms of the composition of the product. Also, the consumer has changed, right? So the energy bar market primarily in the beginning was your athlete, your cyclist, your runner, your triathlete. Um, Now the market has has segmented into not only the athlete, but everyday people just wanting, you know, a quick meal replacement, quick snack, um, all kinds of different sports, um, into different, you know, all the different dietary needs people have these days. So it really is quite... Um, comprehensive, whereas before it was really more narrow. You and Brian sold Power Bar in 2000, so it's been a little over two decades since you have been directly involved in this space. When did the idea for Jambar start percolating in your mind? Yeah, so I was out of, yeah, like you say, Mario, I was out of the energy bar market from 2000. I was raising my six kids, you know, right? So I wasn't really able to think about, you know, do I want to do something in that category? Do, you know, where, what do I want to continue on with that I was so passionate about with Power Bar? Um, it started actually with a conversation with my daughter on the kitchen table. And she says, you know, I was just kind of complaining that there was no like really high quality energy bar. Something that I would really feel good about putting in my body. It had Everything that was out there had something that I didn't want to eat for whatever reason. Um, not necessarily that it was a bad ingredient. It's just something I didn't like about it. And I, and I really wanted to eat organic, and there aren't that many organic choices. So I'm like, well, I could, I could put some things together and kind of see what I can come up with. And I started kind of slow. Like I started just putting stuff together like I did in the 80s and tinkering here and there, maybe one day a week, and then it sort of gained momentum. And then I got to a point where I was kind of on the fence. Like, should I really do this? Because this is, this is a big, I don't say risk, but this is a big decision for me to put my reputation right? It has to be something really good because I'm not going to just put anything out there. Mm -hmm. I do have a reputation as being an industry creator. So I'm like, okay, do I want to do this? And to get to that point of clarity, do I want to do this, took me another two years because I wanted it to be perfect. Well, as perfect as it could be, right? Mm -hmm. It's never perfect, but to be as good as it could be in terms of, you know, taste, nutritional composition, all the ingredients that I really feel good about, um, shelf life is a big one. Um, you know, making sure that I can procure the ingredients, right? Because some of the ingredients are what I call um, innovative. And so all those factors are coming together to make it real crystal clear to me that I can make a go of this and create a company 
and a great product that, that you know, all kinds of consumers are going to like. Do you remember the moment when you made that decision that, yep, I'm going all in on yeah. this and it's going to be a thing? Well, what's interesting, so I came up with a formulation. Like I said, it took me about three and a half years to get to that point of, okay, I'm ready for this. Three and a half to four years, I didn't have a name. I'm like, what am I going to call this bar? Like something relative of Power Bar, something, because before it was Power Bar, it was Max Energy Bar. Maxwell, oh, Max Energy. Yeah. Okay. So before Brian and I registered the trademark of Power Bar, it was a Max Energy Bar, right? So not many people know this. So I'm like, well, maybe there's something with a Maxwell. And then, and then I was just, you know, I, a lot of times ideas come to me when I'm sitting in my garden. I'm sitting out with my animals in the garden and I'm just sitting there after a run or whatever. And um, I'm like, hmm, I want to combine my passion with music. And I became a musician 15 years ago when Brian passed away tragically of a cardiac arrest. Um, he had a, a, a known heart condition but was going to get the heart valve transplant, waited a bit too long. We don't diverge into that, but it was a very traumatic time in my life and my family, my kids. But um, I went through such a transformation at that point, being a single mom, six kids. I became a musician. I reached out to music, or music reached out to me, both, right? And so um, I decided I wanted to take up the drums. Drums, athletic, rhythm, cadence, tempo, you know, it all just kind of coalesced of like, I want to become a drummer. I'm going to do this. I'm going to become a drummer. And I started from ground zero, not knowing too much about the drums. And I really worked my tail off. I mean, the first few years of becoming a drummer was really difficult. And I'm 15 years into it now, and I'm somewhat accomplished. I'm in two bands. I play live. I play a lot of jazz. So I've, I've really worked my way up to becoming a musician. The reason I mention that is I'm sitting there in my garden, and I'm like, okay, I want to combine music and sports. I mean, sports has been my lifelong mm-hmm. passion since I was a little girl. I started running when I was 12, and I'm like, okay, let's see, sports, music, hmm, jam, to jam, to jam, you get your jam on. It's a very common term or slang or slogan that you would use in music to go jam. We're jamming, right? And to get your jam on. Now, the other interesting fact is that it is my initials. I was going to ask that. So my name is Jennifer Ann Maxwell, right? So like, it was all like all the stars were aligning. And I have to t- tell you, Mario, that throughout this process and still today, I feel like there's a bit of Brian like, over, like cheering me on and like he's out somewhere there. I get all sentimental. Um, like just kind of. It's a guiding light, mm-hmm. right? There's a little bit of a guiding light. Like, you're going to do this. You're really going to do this. It's so important. And so it was one of those moments, right? Like, I've got the sports, the music, the jam. Oh, a moment of clarity. Does that yeah. remind you of when you and Brian had that moment early on in the days of Power Bar? Like, hey, we're going to do this. We're going to go all in and make a company of it, register the trademark, and see if we can build a business. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Brian and I... We started from nothing. I mean, we lived in a little apartment. You know, it was just the two of us. You know, we had some help early on, but once we decided to make a company of it, um, we did everything. We didn't have any money. We didn't have investors. We had nothing. Um, and we decided, you know, we were going to do this for ourselves primarily, right? I think mm-hmm. most people know the power of our story. But to get some light on it, I mean, we, we started because, again, it was about us, our needs, and then our extended friends. You know, we were giving samples of, of power bars to the 7-Eleven cycling team at the time, local runners, our running group, um, local bike shops. And so once we, we saw the reception from the athletes, we're like, okay, I think we have something here. Mm-hmm. And people were like, they just embraced us. Like, we love your product. This is so innovative. This is so cool. It became like the cool thing. When you were kicking around the concept for Jambar, were you doing something similarly with your friends in running and music where you would have samples that you created in your kitchens? I know that's where it started and said, hey, try this out. See if it keeps you energized between sets, between shows, between workouts, whatever. Let me know what you think. 
Oddly, no. <laughs> okay. No, I was very, I didn't want people to know what I was doing. You know, I'm like, again, it's that, like, it's a risk for me mm-hmm. because I have reputation. Um, if I'm going to do this, it's a financial risk. Um, I don't really want people talking about it because I have to be ready. It mm-hmm. has to be what I want it to be. And I knew there was a desire for this type of product just from being around so many musicians, having so many friends that are athletes, having that, you know, decades and decades long of experience. Uh, just knowing that people want the premium energy bar, the organic energy bar. Yeah. What were some of those rumblings that you were hearing in your different communities about what people wanted or needed or felt like they were missing? Um, well, like I said, the quality. You know, a lot of people didn't want they want to minimize their sugar. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's seen, even as an athlete, you got to think about, well, what type of sugar do I want to eat? Right? We all kind of know sugar, I mean, any kind of nutritional advice or campaign or trend or whatever you want to call it, it's such a, 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 a um, difficult issue because everyone is an individual and everyone has individual needs for nutrition, allergy issues, uh, custom issues, preference issues, right? So you can never make a blanket statement about how to eat. And I've always been as a nutritionist, I avoid doing that. I think that people need individual programs that work for them. Mm-hmm. In saying that, Athletes, you know, have higher energy needs. We know that. So they have higher calorie needs. And sometimes, you know, that's where the energy bar really is beneficial for athletes because they need that portable, high-calorie, palatable, you know, source of energy. And energy bars are perfect for that. Well, musicians do too because of the the, uh, portability of it. But the sugar always becomes like a little bit of an issue. Like, do I want, how much sugar do I want to put in my diet and what types of sugar do I want to have? And so, and then personally for me, I don't really like eating manufactured sugar. So that would be your brown rice syrup, tapioca syrup, these types of things mm-hmm. I call a manufactured sugar because they don't exist in nature, right? Rice is not a source of sugar. And tapioca, you know, those are starches. Um, not that they're bad. It's just that I want to eat natural sugar. You know, I want to eat something. Maple syrup is a beautiful product. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to work with that. It took me a while, you know, and then there's a, a grape sugar, which is 100% grapes. And then I have a little bit of a date concentrate, 100% dates, and then a little honey. So I wanted to keep it really close to nature. Yeah. In the two-ish decades between when you and Brian sold Power Bar and when you decided that, okay, I'm going to make Jam Bar a thing, did you keep tabs on the energy bar market or once you sold power bar did you just try to you know push that aside i mean as you mentioned like you were raising six kids by yourself at the right. time you got into music but did you pay any attention to what was going on in the space because it really started to explode in the early it's, 2000s there's a lot of new entrants yeah, yeah all so kinds many of companies and you've got you know the the minimal ingredients so just the four ingredient type of bars you know there's a couple organic bars not too many like i mentioned um I think being a nutritionist and being an athlete, I couldn't help but stay, keep my radar mm-hmm. on what was going on. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I did, but not from a formulation standpoint necessarily, uh, really more from a marketing standpoint, mm-hmm. I think, of what do consumers look for and why, right? Is it, is it a fad or is it something that's actually sustainable? Were there any brands during that time that you felt were doing it really well? From a marketing standpoint, oh, or even yeah. a product standpoint. Yeah, I think there's some great companies out there that make energy bars, definitely. And they all have their angle, you know, whether it's purpose, right? A higher purpose than just, and there's some that are that, are that some that are, you know, really trying to work with great ingredients, and there, there are some. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there definitely are some. Uh, not to the level of a jam bar. <laughs> no, you know, what I'm doing is expensive, you know. It does come down to the cost. Mm-hmm. You know, and the ingredients that I use are very, very, you know, I like, you know, who's going to put grade A maple syrup in their bar, right? I mean, that's expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are some good companies, yeah. Once you landed on the formulation for Jam Bar that you felt really good about and said, okay, like, I feel confident taking this out into the world, what were the next evolutions of you're thinking, not necessarily from a product standpoint, but what you wanted this company to be and to be about? That's a great question because 
we can touch on that. It's like, yeah, I want this great high quality product, all the different nutritional aspects, but then I want it to be more than that. And so combining sports and music, I said, okay, I'm going to donate 50% of my profits to music and active living. So for me, this is a huge philanthropic endeavor. Um, I mean, personally, I already support a lot of different entities. And so this was just another way of like, I want it as a, as a company to support these different entities because it gives those entities visibility. Mm-hmm. It gives them the, the money and the support that they need to continue doing what they're doing. And we have some incredible uh, organizations that we support that are music and active living. Um, if you go on our website, we have like six or seven mentioned, but it's, um, you know, it's, it's kids, it's music, it's bringing music to kids. Sports, running, biking, trail preservation. Um, most of them are Bay Area, but not all of them. We do one in particular that's based out of New Orleans mm-hmm. that is bringing music to um, an orphanage in Haiti. And actually, we just gave them 2,000 jam bars <laughs> that are going to go to Haiti on a container because, as you know, there's a, um, a food shortage right. in Haiti. So we, um, I partnered with a, with a representative, his name is Don Paul, and he's been in, in uh, you may know him, he's a pretty famous coach of athletes. Uh, he's very good friends with Jackie Joyner Kersey, okay. Bob Kersey, Bobby Kersey, um, and Jackie Joyner is a huge fan of jam bars, by the way. Um, but Don, being in New Orleans, he knows a lot of athletes, a lot of famous musicians in New Orleans. And so he started the Sticking Up for Children Foundation, which supports um, an orphanage in Haiti. So that was one that's not in the Bay Area. Um, but in the Bay Area, we've got the CJC, California Jazz Conservatory, which I've been a musician playing there for mm, over 12 years, 12, 13 years. It's the finest accredited um, music school in the West Coast. And then that's in Berkeley. And then here in, in the Bay Area, we've got um, Elm, Enriching Lives to Music which is in the canal of San Rafael, and they bring their incredible program, bringing music to kids. We've got the Marin County Bike Coalition. It's about mountain biking and trail preservation on Mount Tam. We've got where the official energy bar, Tim Alpha Runners, so that's all about running. We've got Coaching Corps, which brings, it's a pretty big organization started by Wally Haas okay. of I'm Levi's. With that. And they provide um, mentorship and sports for um kids in need in communities where these kids uh, don't have anywhere to go after school. And, these, and this organization brings coaches into the lives of these kids, brings sports and, and, like I said, mentorship. And they've been around quite a long time. And I've been involved with Coaching Corps for, I don't know, over 15 years. So that's a pretty big organization. I've got two more. I've got um, Bread and Roses, which brings music uh, to, again, at-risk communities, they go into um, mental institutions, mental health places, they go into prisons, they go into nursing homes, and they put on concerts for people, and they put on 700 concerts a year. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then Throughout the, last, the country? Uh, no, more in, in uh, California. Okay. More Bay Area. They're okay, really Bay so Area that's focused. local. Okay. They were, they've been around since the 70s. It's called Bread and Roses. And then I have Jazz in the Neighborhood, which does a lot of that as well. And that... Organization is really based in Marin, and what they do is it's fair wages for musicians. So they raise money, and then they guarantee musicians a certain um, uh, amount of stipend to pay to play their music for um, different audiences. So yeah, so it's it's um it's pretty important. Do yeah. you foresee that side of what you're doing with Jambar continuing to potentially expand? over the years as the company grows and you're able to just do more things because of that? Absolutely. Yeah, it's a big emphasis is to give back to the community. And I feel I'm doing that with the product, but also just with uh, heart and soul, time. Yeah, of course, money. you got to put money into things to get things done. Mm-hmm. But um, it's about collaboration. And for Jambar, it's really about community. Um, it's a community-based company, community-based effort. Um, so we, we hope to find even more more uh, great people to support. When you were putting the company together and deciding where you would be located, I mean, you're based here in Marin, but it's not 
common for an energy bar company to you know base themselves here. Usually they'll outsource production to Absolutely. somewhere else. But yeah. you're doing everything here on uh-huh. site. I mean, we're in your office as we're having this conversation. Right behind us is the production yeah. facility. I mean, there's people who are working for you, milling around here, doing doing various things. Was that important to you as well to keep everything kind of centralized yeah. so you could have the team together and uh-huh. being able to collaborate more frequently? Absolutely. Because there was a decision I had to make after I had the formulation, which I did myself. Um, like, where am I going to make this, right? Because most people would just co-pack it. Most energy bars are co-packed, particularly in the beginning. What does that mean? That means that you take your formulation or you actually ask a co-packer to use an existing formulation. And it's an energy bar factory where they will make energy bars for different people. Mm-hmm. And there's several of them in, 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 in the country. Um, but you're not going to really control your quality because they're making it for you. And a jam bar is, you know, as I said, it's specific ingredients that other bar manufacturers aren't going to use, the quality of it. So we had to decide we're going to take control of that, which means obviously building our own factory, which means, okay, well, that's a capital investment. You know, you've mm-hmm. got to plan for that, that investment. Where are you going to get the equipment? Where are you going to get the people to, to put this together for you? Yeah, I mean, that was a big part of the process. And what's interesting about that is we, I started that process before pre-COVID. Um, I went to the, the um, packaging expo. It was in Las Vegas, met with some really important people, was able to begin the conversations and start ordering our equipment before COVID happened. Uh, so we had the equipment ordered. So it came in during the 18 months of COVID, and we've been able to, to uh, find a, a place, renovate the, the space, get the equipment set up. And uh, mind you, I mean, we're small, and mm-hmm. we will remain small, but um, we're small and mighty. <laughs> yeah. Did COVID affect your timeline at all for getting Jambar off the ground? Um, a little bit. Not too much because we really planned really well. Mm-hmm. Um, um, a little bit, I would say, not major, which is amazing since we are in the Bay Area. Um, it's about planning, you know, and just making sure that you're talking to people that you trust. Yeah. Aside from maintaining a high quality in terms of the bar itself and the philanthropic initiative, which you just described. Knowing what you knew about the energy bar industry, what did you know you did not want Jambar to be? Okay, interesting question. Hmm. I don't want Jambar to be trendy. You know, I think anything that's worth doing in your life should be sustainable. And things that are trendy, whether it's a nutritional program or a, some kind of concept out of somewhere, if it's trendy, then uh, it it likely won't be sustainable. So that's one thing that was important to me, that this be sustainable. Um, I didn't want it to be overpriced. You know, it's expensive product, but I, I have this little bit of a pet peeve about gouging the consumer. <laughs> and I wanted it to be affordable, but still have us be able to make a profit, whatever that is going to be. It's not going to be huge, but it will be something at some point, which means mm-hmm. I have to control my expenses, which I think I can do, um, without without overpricing the product. So we're you know we're priced pretty fair in the market. We're ton that we're not out of the market. We're kind of a little above average in the middle of the market towards the top, but it's certainly fair for what you're getting in the in the, in the quality of the product. What's the retail price of a Jamboard? A three and a quarter to three and a half. Okay. And what is sort of industry standard? And we're a 60 gram bar, so we're a little bit bigger than some of the other bars. Mm-hmm. Well, it really varies. I mean, some of the mass huge companies might be $2. Right. Two and a half. There's some products out there that are small that are actually more expensive than a jam bar because they're smaller. Even though the unit price may be less than three and a quarter, the bar is a lot smaller. So that actually puts them a little above us. Um, I don't want to name names, but we're definitely in the, in the ballpark. Yeah. But I think as a consumer, especially as the story of Jambar gets out, you can feel really good about 
what you're spending your money on from a quality standpoint. I do want to get into some of the specific ingredients that you do use in Jambar because I do think that is very interesting and and distinct, but also the philanthropic initiative Mm -hmm. as well because, I mean, you have all these organizations listed on your website. You just talked about them here. As a consumer, especially in this day and age, I'd feel really good about that. And it's not so much higher than a lot of what's out there, but it is a more considered decision and a higher quality product that you're putting in your body. Yeah, and this was this was the market need. I think there's people that are willing to pay just a little bit more, whether it's an extra quarter, an extra 50 cents, right? It's not a huge amount. But they want to they really care about what they're eating and what they want to eat something organic to support the environment. Um, they want to eat something super high quality, so they want to again decide what kind of sugar they want to eat. They want to uh, have some protein with their bar because protein is going to help, you know, stabilize the sugar absorption because it's more of a a complete um, comprehensive food. It's not just carbohydrates, whether it's complex or simple. Like having the protein in there really helps your absorption, slow it down a little bit. And of course, you need protein as an athlete, hours as a human being. Uh, um, and you know, we don't put anything extraneous in Jam Bar. It's all real food. I mean, everything in our product. And we have this slogan: you could eat it off a spoon. You know, there's no flavorings, right? There's concentrates that are 100% fruit. There's some extracts in the mango and the jazzleberry. In the chocolate, there's three kinds of chocolate. You know, premium guitar chocolate and unsweetened chocolate and cocoa powder. I mean, it's it's all. Really tasty stuff. You've got four different flavors of bar, and and they're quite distinct. I mean, there's a malt nut, there's a chocolate, there's a mango, and I think jazzleberry is what the other one was called. So very different flavor profiles. How did you think through those choices as you were formulating these recipes in your kitchen? Well, even the design, Mario. So in that music connection, Mm -hmm. so the names, chocolate cha-cha, malt nut melody, Jam and Jazzleberry and Musical Mango, right? They all have a musical connotation. And then the wrapper, which is really fun and whimsical, my daughter, Julia, drew the musicians that are on the wrapper. Oh, cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. She's a big artist. So she drew that. So it all goes kind of this little bit of a family a family affair thing with you know people participating in the, the art, the name. I did the logo myself. Um so, you know, that sort of musical musical flavors, right? And when I come out with my next one, I have to think, okay, how am I going to have a musical <laughs> a musical name for the next flavor? Um, but um, that's kind of how I started. Like, I want each flavor to be different. I want there to be able to have a name that has a musical connotation. Um, and then I didn't want to have just a base, right? I didn't want to have, like, here's my base, and I'm going to add a little of this and a little of that, and I'm going to call it something else which a lot of the bar companies do. Mm -hmm. I'm like, no, I'm going to make each version or each flavor different, distinctively different. That way, I'll never get tired of eating jam bars. (laughs) I have my malt nut, which is kind of your peanut, your peanut, sesame, malty, vanilla flavor, which is very close to the original Power Bar malt nut. It reminds me a lot of the original Power Bar. but it. yeah. Tastes way better. It's and, more natural, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. it just has a, a much better consistency to it, which yeah. is, I mean, maybe something that we could talk about later in this conversation, but it did remind me That's of sugar. just yeah. a, a <laughs> much better version of the original Power Bar. Yeah, so you got your malt nut, which is really is that, that the sort of peanut version. And then the chocolate, which is pretty deep, dark chocolate. You know, it's a little like a chocolate oat cake. Um, chocolate's tough. Chocolate was my... I almost, I almost scrapped it. Like, ah, I can't do this. Because <laughs> the texture, you know, it's a little firmer, which I actually prefer because the chocolate is my favorite one. But um, chocolate's tricky to work with because it's drying. It's very hydroscopic. The cocoa mm-hmm. is drying. So the, the nature of the chocolate, we don't, I'm not adding any oil to it. I'm not adding any preservatives. I'm not adding anything extraneous. It's just different forms of chocolate. Um, and there are different types of chocolate out in the industry. So I had to use my resources. Like, okay. Where am I going to get this chocolate? Now, on top of that, we're fair trade. So chocolate jam bar is fair trade, which if you look at what fair trade means, it's not an easy thing to become a fair trade. And you go through a certification uh, process to do that. 
And we, for all the sales of Jambora, it goes to the fair trade organization that we're mm-hmm. giving back to fair trade, which really is about supporting the workers and the environment where cocoa beans are um, produced. That's what fair trade is. So the chocolate was tricky, got it down. I love the chocolate. Um, then the other two fruit, I decided I want to do vegan, right? So this whole other thing, right? It's like, okay, vegans, like what protein am I going to use, right? So I have, I mean, the basic of a jam bar really is quite green-based because I'm using oat bran, quinoa, sorghum, brown rice. That's kind of the grain thing. And they provide protein, but I needed more protein than just the grains. So I decided to do two vegan bars and two whey protein bars. They get up to that 10 grams. Forgive me if I'm jumping the gun with this question because it is very early days for Jambar, and I know you are very focused on getting your current product line right, but do you ever foresee a situation down the road where it expands beyond bars? And the reason I ask that is looking at the first company that you founded started with a power bar and I know ownership has changed hands a few times but now there's power gels and power shots and power blocks and right. you look at you know a company like Cliff Bar they have they have Cliff Bar and then there's Cliff shots and then there's Cliff blocks or even like Picky Bar now is doing oatmeal and and Granola all this stuff and all that stuff yeah all yeah. you know all sorts <laughs> of other products do you want to stay focused on the bars or are you just keeping an open mind and seeing how things develop over the next few years well i would always keep an open mind although i have to say that we want to do what we do really well Mm -hmm. and we want to maximize jam bar first and i have ideas for some really cool flavors because my favorite thing, Mario, is being in the kitchen. I mean, yeah, I can manage the company, which I am, but it's really, it's really more for me about being in the in the kitchen, like working with ingredients, so cool ingredients, different fruits, different grains, different proteins, and I have some ideas, even seasonal flavors. Um, so, I think we'll stay with the bar for now, and then we'll see. You know, we'll see down the road. Tell me a little bit about your background in nutrition. I know that that was sort of how Power Bar sort of got off the ground was Brian, correct me if I'm wrong, came to you because he knew you had a background in that and needed some help in figuring out his own issues. But when did you first start to take an interest in nutrition just in general and realize that it was a field of study you wanted to pursue? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, It came as an offshoot of my running because I started running when I was 13, 12, or 12, about 12. Ran a marathon when I was 13. Really? Um, yeah. Which I ran, one? I ran Livermore Marathon in 19, I'm giving away my age, 1978. Okay. And um, just kind of like, I, I mean, I'd been running for like nine months, and my mom was a runner, and she had a friend who had dropped out because he couldn't use the numbers. He's like, oh, I have a number for you to use. Do you want to run it? I'm like, okay. I was like this little teenager. So I ran three, three hours and 25 minutes as a 13-year-old little girl. So obviously had some ability. Uh, yeah. In marathon <laughs> I was tiny too. Um, so I just, I started running really young and I just, I was good at it. And I just got interested in, in how the body works. And I, um, I kept it going. I ran in high school and I ran another marathon. I ran three hours and 13 minutes at San Francisco Marathon when I was 14 and then I got into high school, and I'm like, I don't want to run marathons anymore. <laughs> I don't think it's very good for my body, which is, it's, you know, particularly when you're that young. No, mm-hmm. it's not. Um, but I had some fun with it, and I ran an ultra marathon when I was older. But I prefer the shorter distances, strictly now. But I've been running a really long time, right? I mean, I started running at 12. You know, I've been running for 45 years. Did you run track in high school? I ran track in high okay. school. Yeah. So I've been running a really long time. I'm proud to say I'm still running. Because I listen to my body. I don't overdo it, which I'm trying to tell my kids, be careful. <laughs> but you want to run your competition when you're young, at least for me, maybe because I do so many other things. Like, I don't have any interest in competition. For me, it's all about longevity, sustainability, you know, taking care of your body. And for me, that means running fewer miles and running faster, but shorter distances, and breaking it up with walking. Mm-hmm. So the walk run ratio. 
um, that a lot of really famous people have been promoting is, is a way to sustain your running program is really important as you get older because it takes the stress off your body when you, when you take walk breaks. I don't always take walk breaks, but sometimes I go out and I'm like, okay, I'm going to run a solid 45 minutes. And it, with hills and all that, you know, I'm probably going maybe five miles, which is about as far as I'll go. Okay. Because then I start to feel like I'm tired and this is counterproductive. So, um, but my running, which is a passion, obviously, <laughs> um, manifested into my interest in nutrition. And then as a high schooler, I decided I got into Cal. And I actually got into Cal Poly and Cal. And Cal Poly, I was going to be a math major because I really like math. And then I got into Berkeley and I was like, well, I really want to be a nutrition and food science major. And that's what I entered as. And I always liked cooking too. I, and I still love cooking. Um, and I just it was a natural for me. And then I worked, so I, I also did a lot of exercise physiology classes. I worked with George Brooks at Cal in his okay. lab. He's still there, amazingly. Um, is he in like, his 80s now? He's, he's old. He's yeah, I think old. he's I in his 80s. Up. He's in his 80s. I need to go and say hi to him. I actually was at Cal this week talking to the team about jam bars, and they're totally excited to get the athletes jam bars. They've all wanted something like this. Um, but I worked with George. I have a lot of experience in exercise physiology. Yeah. Did you have any idea studying nutrition and food science what you wanted to do when you no. graduated college? <laughs> because, you know, when you're a nutrition and food science major back then... In what the are the 80s, options? There's two options, right? There's the dietetics option, uh-huh. which is you go into a hospital setting and you work with, with more sick people or preventative hospital diet plans, this type of thing. And I'm like, mm, I don't really want to do that. You can get your dietitian certificate... But about that time where I had to make that decision, or do you want to go more of the food science instead of dietetics, I met Brian in 85 and definitely decided we're going to go food science. Yeah. When you met Brian, were you still an undergrad yeah. at Berkeley? Yeah, I was did, still, uh, I was a junior. Yeah. Did you run track in college? I ran one year. Okay. Yeah. And that was probably about enough. <laughs> think drag is my forte. I did two years of cross country, which was a little more my my preference. Was it just not enjoyable to you? Um, I don't think I was really fast enough to be D1 track. No, okay. no, I wasn't. I mean, cross country, yeah. I mean, I could run those 545 miles, which back then was fast enough to run cross country. Not anymore, probably. You got to run more like 530s to run cross country competitively at D1 level. Mm. Um, but yeah, I like the trails, you know, I like being out in nature, you know. So at that point, you would much rather have spent your running time just going in the trails and exploring yeah. than being a part of a team and competing. I would, yeah, I like the team aspect mm-hmm. and I like training. I like doing the repeats and all that at the time. I think also my studies were pretty challenging and I think for me it became a time constraint you know, and then meeting Brian, who was actually coaching at the time. Well, he actually just stopped coaching, but he was doing, he was actually doing um, electrotherapy for muscles with this guy named Jack Scott. This was a long time ago. This is 1984-85. But Brian was still competing a little bit at that time. So we still ran pretty hard together, but mm-hmm. it was different. It was really more about outside of the university competition. I did a lot of triathlons still because I'm a pretty decent swimmer. Okay. Um, it was really more about mixing it up, you know, being able to make my athletic pursuits meet my uh, professional objectives, really, because we had already started the company. How, how did you meet Brian? Um, well, I knew of Brian, right, because he was kind of famous. Um, being, you know, yeah. For context, I yeah, mean, he I mean, was he a was, very, very good runner. I mean, he was on the Canadian Olympic team in 1980 that did not that's right. go to compete. That's right. In yeah. Moscow, and I think Chris, your son, and I, who I coach, have had this conversation. He ran 214, I think, in the marathon. 213. 213. Uh huh. Yeah, thereabouts, and ran a lot. I think he ran 30 something marathons, um, all kinds of other competitions across the globe. Third in the Boston Marathon in 1977. A reputable, very well-known, high-level runner. Absolutely. Real deal. Yeah, yeah. And um, so I knew him from that. Um, He also coached at Cal. 
Um, but when I was when I was at Cal, he was not coaching anymore, but he was, um, I just kind of knew of him. And we hit it off. I mean, we actually met each other at a, at a, a Tamalpa uh, Christmas party, you know, and we were just talking, dancing, you know, and then I told him, oh, I'm at Cal, and I'm studying nutrition and food science. And he knew of me, because I've been around the running community forever mm-hmm. um, in Marin, and um, we just kind of hit it off, and then we started working on the, on the project together. Yeah. How did that come to be, the project that became Power Bar? How did it come to be? Well, so, I mean, we were working. So he was living in a little apartment, and I was in the dorm. I was actually living in a sorority house, (laughs) dorms and then the sorority house. I would come over and help and, you know, work on formulations, and we came up with, with the final formulation, and that was the beginning of the company. But I don't think a lot of my listeners really understand the origin story of power bar like why did those conversations start yeah so brian being an olympic runner me being a nutrition and food science and runner um and at that time we had um another partner who sort of did a little bit of research for us because we really power bar came out of a, a a personal need for brian mostly and a little bit for me um and then some a lot of research i mean we really researched what was available at the time we looked at the literature about sports nutrition, um, what the body needs when it's really maximizing its efficiency with utilization of carbohydrates, fats, protein, how your body all works in terms of what you eat before running or even during and then after the three stages. And we came up with what we wanted to put into Power Bar. And the one thing is we didn't want to put any fat in it because fat is a little harder to digest Mm -hmm. as an athlete. We wanted the simple and complex ratio to be correct. Um, in terms of having maximum complex carbs with some simple for the absorption. And we wanted it to taste good. And, and we actually had branched-chain amino acids in the bar at that time, which when we sold, they got rid of the branched-chain amino acids. But if you look at the literature, so in terms of protein utilization for energy, the branched-chain amino acids are selectively utilized more efficiently mm-hmm. in glycolysis and energy production um, from protein, from amino acids. So we put those in the power bar. Yeah. How exciting was it for you at that age to work on that project that really was an exercise in problem solving? Okay, Brian's got this issue. I've got this background in running and food science. Let me put on my cap and see if I can help solve it by creating something like that feels like a perfect storm of of scenarios kind of coming together at the right time right meeting needs coming up creativity innovation all these things i remember life was different in the 80s you know for people that are old enough to remember no computers right uh no cell phone life was slower um very different, I would say, um, for the most part, easier than today. Um, starting a business was certainly easier, yeah, because you don't have all the constraints. We have so much information now. It's like how do you digest and utilize so much information being thrown at you all the time? That's hard. That's kind of an obstacle, really. It can be a resource, which if you're really smart, you can use that information, your computer, your cell, this and that as a resource, but you can also get bombarded with it because every day your brain is just getting so much stimulation. Where back in the 80s, it was like you had more time to sit, reflect, think about what you want to do, make your next move, plan ahead. It just, life was slower. And so, you know, we were doing a lot of stuff by hand, our charts, our graphs, our bookkeeping, all by hand which if, ironically, I still do a lot of that because, you know, once you have a habit, it's hard to sure. break. <laughs> Although I obviously not use a computer and I use a lot of computers. But my point is it just, um, you know, utilizing your resources effectively is a skill that you have to adapt to today's, today's world. But um, we took a need in Parabar, took our passion, and just created this company we had challenges along the way, definitely, because we started from nothing. Mm-hmm. We didn't even have any money. <laughs> um, we just were able to grow it slowly, right? We had time. Creating a market, there was no competition. 
we had time, 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 passion, and um, just that that creative juice was was uh, contagious for those people around us, right? So if you align your people with with people that understand what you're doing, they become an ambassador for mm-hmm. you. And we had a lot of ambassadors in the early days of Power Bar for sure. It's interesting to hear you describe that because that theme of slowness and being deliberate and mm-hmm. considered in all of your decisions, that was there in the mid-80s. And you yeah. just described how over the past five years that you had been thinking about Jambar uh-huh. and what it's come to be now. It's been a very slow, considered, deliberate yeah. process. And I, yeah. I love that that's carried through over the past couple of decades and you've maintained that from yeah. you know what was like the beginning of <laughs> the energy bar market to this latest project that yeah. you've just undertaken. That's right. That's very uh, sharp that you picked that up. I had the time. I had five years to develop a formulation. Mm-hmm. That's a long time. And I think that's why I got it right and why I was on the fence asking myself, is this right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was the foray into business like in those early days when you decided that Power Bar was going to become a company and it was going to be how you and Brian hopefully made your living? The foray into business. Oh, wow. Well, we started so small. We didn't start with the idea like, hey, we're going to create this big business and make lots of money. But did you go in with the idea of that's how you wanted to spend your working time and I support yourself? So. We yeah, okay. we were committed. We didn't know what was going to happen. Right. You know, we started a teeny little thing in our apartment, mail order business, right? Um, connections, relationships, getting the bar out. We feel like, you know, if we can just get this product into people's hands, in their mouths, they'll try it. The product's going to sell itself, which it did. Uh, it took us probably about a, six months to a year to realize, hey, we can make a business of this, right? And we didn't know how big it would be. Again, that wasn't the goal. It became the goal after, I don't know, a couple years, maybe two, three years, and we realized, hmm, people really dig power bars. Okay, this mm-hmm. is good. <laughs> you guys had the business for 15 years before mm-hmm. you sold it? Yeah. What were some of the biggest challenges that you faced during that time? Well, there were a couple of times we almost went out of business in the beginning. Um, like I said, we we started in our little apartment, and we started with one production run at a co-packer. And so we'd take the bars we made. We had to store them somewhere. We had nowhere to store them. So we got a truck. We bought a truck, and we stored our product in the truck. Well, we came outside one day and discovered our whole inventory had been taken away. <laughs> All our bars were gone. Someone stole them? Uh, it got towed. Oh. Because in Berkeley, remember, you can't park on the street for more than a certain number of hours. And so our truck was towed. So we had to go down and reclaim our inventory. <laughs> uh, it was a funny story. But we had to go show them that we owned the truck, right? So we kept our paperwork. That was, you know, and then it's just the growing pains of um, hiring people, you know, that never really goes away. You still have some of those challenges. Um, but, you know, again, I think I mentioned, you know, Aligning with people you trust, people you know, people that share your vision, you know, is, is, is the challenge then and it's still the challenge now. What was it like when some competition eventually came into the market and you weren't the only energy bar in town? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Cliff came into the market. Balance Bar came into the market. Those are the three players in the early 90s. I think Cliff launched in maybe 91, 91, 92. So we had a few years where we didn't have any competition. Um, it kind of changes the playing field a little bit. I mean, we welcome competition until it gets nasty. Mm-hmm. And I think there was some nastiness. Uh, I thankfully was not involved in that because I was, you know, doing different parts. I wasn't involved in marketing. I was involved in formulations, raising my kids, taking care of the books and things like that. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, when the really intense competition can go, sometimes it can get nasty. Unfortunately, um, I don't know. I, I intend to avoid that with Jambar because it's not about competition at Jambar. It's really about positivity. Yeah. So, 
Do you think it'll be easier to avoid that this time around because yeah. you have so much experience <laughs> and you've kind of dealt with it. that in the past and you're just like, yeah, I have don't no even interest touch in it. it. I have yeah. no interest in being competitive. I will distinguish my product, yeah. you know, and I'll, and I'll be truthful and say, hey, this is what it is. And if you want to eat this kind of quality and these types of ingredients, then check us out. If you don't care or prefer something else, that's good too. You know, there's lots of options for people. But in terms of being competitive with other companies or the bars, I have no interest in it. You know, um, we do what we do super well, and uh, it's all about positivity. Was it challenging to build and run a business with your spouse? Mm. In the beginning, no. No, it was very, very good. Brian and I were very well-matched. You know, we each had our areas of expertise, um, compatible personalities, Mm -hmm. I would say. As we professionalized and we got bigger, there were some things that were challenging. Yeah, towards the end. Yeah, definitely. I feel like growth is probably always challenging in general. Yeah, growth. And then you get all these different um, priorities in the mix. And then when you're deciding to sell, it becomes heated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but not not for the beginning, no. It was was actually quite fun. What was it... um, I'm be careful how I ask this because I, I I don't I don't intend to be nosy. Um, but what was it like to sell your company, like your baby that you yeah. created and had poured everything into over 15 years and built to be the leader in the industry, and then to give it away? I mean, not not give you didn't <laughs> give it away, but I mean sell to give up to yeah. give up control because then yeah. it's no longer yours. To say goodbye. Yeah. We were saying goodbye, particularly since Nestle, who was the acquirer, didn't want us to be involved at all, mm-hmm. which was always a potential, which in light of what happened to the, the brand, they probably should have kept us on a little bit. But they make their decisions, right? They're a huge corporation. Um, it was hard to, to, to say goodbye to your, your something that you've grown and nurtured. I, I was make because I'm a mom, I was making analogies and ah, it's my baby. That's what I, yeah, that's you know, what I there's a little that, but you know, remember it, it was a long transition mm-hmm. from the early days where Brian and I had 100% control and gradually hiring more and more people, giving away part of the company. So, one of the things that made Power Bar so, so special was that we had an ESOP program, that's an employee stock ownership program. So we had already given all of our employees part of the company. And so that was really important to us to share what everyone was working towards to give them part. So, you know, they all got a nice payout when we Mm -hmm. sold, which is great. And we also had profit sharing. So we really had a lot of involvement by the employees. Um, But at the end of the day, it is our baby, right? And we say goodbye to it. Yeah. In the years following the sale, did you pay close attention to what Power Bar was doing as a company? Would you go pick up some of the product or did you try to just put it in the rear view mm. and focus on, in your case, raising your kids and just living your lives at that point? I think a, mm, a little transition, you know, kind of curiosity in the first year, but then it kind of, you know, no, not too much. I still would buy Power Bars. I, I kind of like the Protein, protein Plus Bar. I, I like that which is funny, well, at the time, um, maybe not so much now, but, um, you know, you always want the best, Mm -hmm. right? I want the best for for Power Bar. I mean, I have, of course, incredible sentimental feelings towards the product, and it was groundbreaking, and and it still exists now in some form, um, which is probably a different podcast for you. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, you know, I wish nothing but the best for Power Bar, and, and, uh, yeah. Have you always had an entrepreneurial spirit? Or did you just sort of fall into that with Power Bar and then got oh, the bug because of it? Oh, I've always had an entrepreneurial it. spirit. When I, was a, when I was a little girl, I was, it's kind of funny, maybe not the best thing, but I was um, selling lollipops at school. <laughs> so I had this, this relative who had these big lollipops, right? Like the, you know, the eight-inch ones. They were really colorful, not healthy to eat. But I would go to school and, like, as long as they let me, I would be, like, selling lollipops um, until they said no. But I think I've always, I've always liked to be a groundbreaker. And the thing about me is I, I don't operate out of a mode of fear. Mm-hmm. I don't really, I, don't, I just don't operate out of fear. I never have. And you have to have that. To be, to be an entrepreneur, you can't have a lot of fear. You'll never, you know, 
success is going to be hard to come by. Why do you think it's hard for a lot of people to not operate in that way out of fear? Hmm. I don't know. I think that my childhood was unusual. I had a lot of freedom and I made decisions for myself as a young person uh, easily. And so I had confidence in myself and my decision making. You had a lot of autonomy and agency. Yeah. yeah. And again, back to the day and age, I had time to reflect, time to do nothing, time to just be myself. And I don't feel, I also as an individual, I don't feel societal pressures. Mm-hmm. I just don't, I don't really have interest in it. Yeah. Your role now with Jambar, you founded the company. I believe you're the CEO or president yeah. or whoever the highest ranking the person yeah. <laughs> in the company is. Do you like the running the company aspect of it? Because you weren't really doing that at Powerbar. You mentioned <laughs> how true. you would work on the product and you did the books and some of that stuff, yeah. but you're running the whole show here. Exactly. Well, in the beginning, Brian and I ran it together for the first two or three years. Mm-hmm. And so it really was a, a, a unified approach. And you're right. I mean, I, I have some great people to work for me. Um, for the most part, I enjoy it, but that's you know why we kind of have to keep it somewhat small because if I cease to run the company, well, who else is going to do it, right? You know? So I have to hire good people, um, and I like working with people, right? I like working with people, and I like giving back to people. So if I motivate my employees, then they're going to want to do a good job, and they're going to want to be part of Jambar. But you know, there's conflicts too, and, and that's a little bit of a drain. Yeah. How did you go about building out your team here and some of the ambassadors that you have for Jambar? Which I asked that because you talked a little while ago about how when you started, you and Brian started Power Bar, that was a very big part of it for you is the people that you worked with, but also your ambassadors and evangelists who loved the product and then yeah. went out and told everyone about it. You know what's interesting about that, Mario, is that. Some of the people that are ambassadors for Jambar have a power bar history, right? How could they not? Um, although, again, the word's just getting out. So I anticipate, hopefully, <laughs> there'll be more power bar ambassadors that will, will might want to do some stuff for Jambar. Um, a lot of them are musicians. Musicians are interesting because there's such a parallel with an athlete to a musician the dedication, the devotion, the training, the independent music that you play is analogous to like being an athlete and doing your own thing versus working with a coach, working with a teacher in music. So you have all these parallels between music and athletics. Um, so the musicians are now being spoken to with Jambar, which is really cool because athletes have been spoken to for a long time. Right. right? Musicians, the musicians are never spoken to because they don't, they don't it's a craft. For, for most of them, they don't do this to make money. They don't do this for sponsorships or um, any kind of endorsements or things, usually, unless at the super high level. They do it because they love music. And so Jambar speaks to them, which is huge, and they love it. So it's really easy to get musicians to be ambassadors for Jambar. Talk to me a little bit about your relationship with music. You mentioned how you started playing the drums about... 15 years ago, mm-hmm. and it doesn't sound like you had any real background in music before that. Like, how did you get into it? Yeah. So I had a little. I did play piano. Okay. Just a, just a smidge. I played flute in school. Um, I've always loved instruments, right? But I've never really devoted a lot of time to it, right? A little bit dabble here and there. Um, and I think, like I said, the dramas came to me because it's pretty athletic. Um, but it was tough. I mean, the beginning, because I did start from not even knowing the names of the different drums to um, learning basic how to read music is really important. So I learned how to read music. Being, having a math um, um, sort of uh, ability helps with music as well because it is very math-based in groups of twos or threes. That's probably why I suck at it. <laughs> right? It, it, particularly drums. Very, very math-based. So that helped. The cadence helped. You know, having that, you know, being a runner for so long, having that tempo ingrained in your body, 
right? One foot after the other, every heartbeat after the other is just like instilled and ingrained in my DNA, which came out in the drums, which is kind of nice. But I still have the independence. You have to be able to have each limb do something differently, Mm -hmm. Um, particularly with jazz. Jazz is my favorite genre of music, and it is arguably, or not arguably, the most difficult as a drummer. You know, a lot of improvisation, a lot of independence, a lot of technique, um, which takes, you know, over 10,000 hours, definitely. And I've put probably over 20. (laughs) So, yeah. So you have these two huge passions in your life, running, and over the last 15 years, music has become a big one for you. They've come together and definitely influenced this company and product that you've created called Jambar, which, as we've discussed over the course of this conversation, has roots in the first energy bar (laughs) company that you started with Power Bar. I'm curious, as my last question, how do you continue to evolve from here as a runner, as a musician, and as a business person? I think... um to see what impact Jambar can have in the community. You know, I mean, I'm committed to the, to the product, to the company, and I think that we have an opportunity to have an impact with community. Um, I think that the power of music and active living, both, are really important for people, for people's health and, and mental wellness, which is a huge, huge focus right now, I think, in the world with what's transpired the last 18 months mm-hmm. with COVID. Music is transformative. I mean, it brings incredible happiness and purpose to a lot of people, um, as do sports. So it's really leveraging Jambar's ability to bring that into the community to see what impact we can make. I love it. I can't think of a better place to wrap up this conversation. Jenny Maxwell, thank you so much for coming on the Morning Thanks, Shakeout Martin. podcast. Pleasure. Thank you so much for listening into the Morning Shakeout podcast. A big thank you to both Tracksmith and Gooder for sponsoring this episode of the show. Tracksmith is a Boston-based running apparel brand born from a desire to celebrate both the history and evolving culture of running. Go to tracksmith.com slash Mario to check out some of my favorite apparel picks and use their code Mario15 at checkout to save 15 bucks off your first purchase of $75 or more. Gooder sunglasses are just the best. Not only do they look good, but they don't bounce, they don't slip, and they're polarized to protect your eyes. If you'd like to support me in the podcast, treat yourself to a pair or two or maybe three of Gooders and head over to gooder.com slash Mario and get 15% off your entire order. That's G-O-O-D-R dot com slash M-A-R-I-O to get 15% off your purchase couple more things before we wrap up. I'd like to give a shout out, as always, to my longtime producer, John Summerford, who makes every episode of the podcast sound clear and amazing. Also, thank you to Jeffrey Stern for running the AM Shakeout social media accounts and Chris Douglas for handling sponsorship sales. Last thing, if you are digging this podcast, I think you will love my newsletter. It's also called The Morning Shakeout, and you can subscribe to it at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe. Every Tuesday morning, you'll get my take on what's happening in the world of running, along with a collection of things that I've been thinking about, reading, and listening to. It's a quick read, five, 10 minutes tops, but it will give you plenty to think about throughout the rest of the week. Again, you can sign up to receive it at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe. Okay, that's it. I'm Mario Fraioli, and this has been another episode of the Morning Shakeout Podcast. 